This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. So I'm Nikki Buckaloo. Do we have anybody new in the room today? No? I think we have some new folks online, which is exciting. Some people, that's one of the good things for us about doing uh, the Senior Living Truth Series virtually is that we're able to reach some people who couldn't otherwise uh, participate, so that's exciting. And for those of you who are here, we're glad you're here. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, too. You guys know that the folks in the back of the room there with the tables, um, they, they're also in a precarious position, right? Like some of them, uh, their companies have kind of had different restrictions and such, so some months they're able to be here and other months they haven't been. So thank you guys for coming. I feel blessed. Um, to have you here. We also did a mastermind session um, about a week ago and we got together uh, at our office and talked about some of the things that are going on and how we can improve upon the Senior Living Truth Series going forward um, this year. And one of the things that was mentioned was we should talk more about current day circumstances as a part of the topic. So today's topic, which is how to pay for senior living, we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to be presenting that today instead of a panel, which was what we've done many times in the past. Uh, I'm going to be presenting this topic today um, with some information that you may or may not have heard um, from this venue anyway. And then we're also going to uh, you know, open it up to some, con- some conversation about what it's like now in the senior living world related to COVID, if you have questions about that, because I think that's certainly on everybody's mind as well. Um, so again, thank you guys. Thanks sponsors for being here and for being a part of this. Uh, Bill Burr couldn't be here today, but he sent in some information that's going to be really helpful uh, with Compass Senior Solutions. He's uh, out there all the time in the senior communities like the assisted livings especially and the long-term care communities. And so I asked him for a little insight and he was able to share some good stuff with me as well. All right, so for those of you who are online, um, you might want to just check your email because Naomi would have sent out just in the last little bit the um, handout. So those of you who are listening through the video, uh, if you want to follow along on the handout that everybody here has at their seat, then that has been emailed out to everybody. There's also an eval on your table. And so those of you that have that, fill that out first before you leave. And those of you who are listening in on video, be sure and look for that in your email or in the mail and send that back to us. So, all right, you know what's fun to imagine? Um, I said one time, I put out to God in the universe, I said, you know, I really want to be able to reach more people, right? Like, I really want, like we had at one point, our Senior Living Truth Series, you guys know we have about 200 people coming every month, right? And we kind of ran out of space. And matter of fact, a lot of people said to me, okay, Nikki, we may be getting a little too big. And I said, but I need to reach more people, right? Well, guess what? The universe gave me COVID-19 and said, get online, sister. And so who knows? We may have 100,000 people watching today, right? Yeah? All right. So let's, let's say yay for that, right? That's a good thing. If nothing else, it has taken us out of our comfort zone a little bit. I woke up this morning, and as I was prepping for today's talk, I just I say my little prayer in the morning. Um, to ask God to give me the words, right? And so I'm going to ask you guys to be gracious enough to know that these are not my words, okay? All right, so don't shoot the messenger is what I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) All right, let me get my little clicker, 
And uh, I thought this was a fun little picture, right? Don't we all wish we had a fat little pig like that that had lots and lots of money in it, right? Um, I just imagine that pig having lots and lots of $1,000 bills um, as if there were such a thing, right? Wouldn't that be fun? All right, so we're going to start with kind of some nuts and bolts today. This is in your handout. Uh, for those of you who are listening online, I'll talk about these numbers uh, as we go through them. But these are, for those of you that are homeowners, how many people in the room are homeowners currently? Raise your hand. Yeah? Okay, the majority. And most of the people who attend our seminars are homeowners, and they're planning, right? You guys are also planners. So I, I recognize that the majority of you are either thinking to yourself, I may never move, or I might find myself needing to move, or I might want to move. There's usually those three camps, right? And then, of course, I always have the men in the room who say, I'm not leaving unless you carry me out in a pine box. And I won't ask you to raise your hand for those of you who, or who fit that category, but there's one back there in a purple shirt. I know him. All right. So, right, Jim? Yes, go ahead. Admit it. All right. My father-in-law. Yeah, love him, love him, love him. All right. And I'm working. That pine box is going to be beautiful, just so you know. We're going to hand carve it. All right, so these are some typical homeowner costs, if you guys want to follow along with me. And these are averages, and they're generalizations. And for those of you listening uh, online who might be from California or elsewhere, these are based on Oklahoma homes and the averages here. Okay, so if you're in California, I have a good friend who's probably tuning in in San Diego. This doesn't apply to you. You need to do your own numbers, okay? Property taxes, $2,200 a year give or take, homeowner's insurance about $2,000, utilities $3,600 on average, um, and that, that's gas, electric, and water, that's all we're including in that. Um, internet, if you have it, not everybody does, so I put an asterisk by it, about $1,200, um, and that's what Chris tells me is for the very basic, right, that's not the good stuff. Um, yard care, if you pay for yard care, you can plan on about $2,500 a year. House cleaning, depending on how often and how big your house is, of course, we figured in about 4000 Association fees. Um, this is going to depend on whether or not you live in a neighborhood or a condo, right? So I had a significant amount more on there. I think I had 2500 or something, and Shannon about come unglued because she said, Nikki, most people live in houses, not condos, and that na those neighborhood associations are a little lower. Uh, normal home maintenance on an annual basis, we're talking like uh, AC and heat and air being serviced, that kind of thing. Um, maybe having uh, your gutters cleaned out, about 500 a year. Home repairs, on average, this is for people that may have a plumbing issue or something minor that they have to have fixed, about $800. And then food um, for a family that is uh, two person or one person, $4,800. Okay, all that totaling somewhere between, say, 16000 on the low side, 24000 on the high side, that's assuming you don't owe anything on your house, right? So we're not talking mortgages or anything like that. About thirteen fifty to 2000 per month on average. And if you do the math, some of you that are very, very detail-oriented, you're going to realize that the math doesn't exactly come out because Chris and Shannon changed some numbers on me. And so it's slightly different than what I have. Okay, now, anybody wanna, wanna throw 
uh, a thought out about a high or low number up there real quick just to make sure we're all clear. Is there anything I missed? Does anybody feel like they pay more or less for home maintenance and home repairs than what I have? No? So we're all kind of on the same page. Okay, good. All right, so I bring this up because here's what happens. When people are talking about how to pay for senior living, assuming that they're either going to stay put, doesn't matter to me, or if you're moving, okay, either way, a lot of people don't really have a good concept of what they're already spending on housing, right? So what happens is they go shopping for senior communities and they go, oh my gosh, you know, this is really expensive because they haven't paid a mortgage in 25 or 30 or 40 years, right? So it seems like a lot of money, but what they don't realize is every single month there's these miscellaneous expenses that are adding up to whatever number their number is. And so that's got to be considered in this equation. Okay, so the first thing I would have you do as a homework assignment, if you haven't done it in a while, is sit down with your monthly uh, bills and just establish what are my monthly housing costs. Now, the reason I included food in here, okay, now this is just basic food. This is not people who like to go out and eat and do all that because you're going to do that anyway, right, even if you move. Can we agree on that? Okay. This is basically food for your meals that you would otherwise get if you move to a senior community potentially, which would replace these. Okay, so I'm trying to compare apples with apples here is what we're trying to do. Alright, so if you decided to stay put, which a lot of people have said they want to do, and we're totally in agreement that if you can do that then and you want to do that, then it's a great thing. There's this conceptualization, though, that they can do that for an extended period of time without any additional expense, okay? So I want to be really clear. We have two amazing sponsors uh, for our organization, Synergy Home Care, which Jeff is back there. Wave at him, Jeff. He's, he's got an OSU mask on, so hoping that everybody's okay with that. <laughs> uh, and we have another organization called Providence Home Care and they are they are both in the same similar business where they do in-home care private duty and uh, home health is a separate animal okay so I'm not talking about home health today I'm just talking about non-medical uh, non private duty care where somebody could come in and help with meals a little bit of light, light housekeeping um, kind of just the everyday thing. Sometimes it's just companionship even, okay? So depending on what people need. But I wanted to put some numbers on this because people often ask, uh, you know, will say, I'm just going to stay at home and if I need a little help, then I'll just hire help, okay? Which is why these companies exist and we're glad that they do. So these are the costs surrounding that. The average is anywhere between, say, $20 and $25 per hour, uh, depending on the type of help you're getting, whether it's a CNA or somebody who has a higher level of nursing uh, versus somebody who's not a CNA, like if it's just a volunteer type person. And I shouldn't say volunteer, Jeff. What would you call them? If they're not a CNA, what do they call? Sitters. Sitters. Thank you. Right. People who basically come and they're, they're companions, right? And the reason people might have someone like that is, let's say you have a loved one, a spouse, or someone who has some memory loss. 
and you need to go run errands and you want to make sure that person is safe while you're gone, you might hire someone to come in and sit with them and they don't just sit with them, they will you know, do things with them and, and engage with them, but that's the service that I'm talking about. So, for two hours a day, seven days a week basically, we're looking at about $1,400 per month or $17,000 per year. And you can look up, by the way, if you haven't ever done this, you can look up online uh, Genworth, Genworth, G-E-N-W-O-R-T-H is the source for a lot of these numbers. They do national numbers and then they also do state uh, specific numbers. You can look online on their website for the, the data on this. And then if you have, so let's say you need more, six hours a day, and six hours a day might be a temporary thing. You may not need that forever. That could be following a surgery. It could be following an illness. It could be while you're um, maybe uh, have someone that has a temporary situation. And then you've got, of course, 24 hours a day. And this is where um, people who have the money to do this will often hire someone uh, like Synergy or like Providence to staff 24 hours where they have someone in the home 24 hours a day. Matter of fact, um, my stepdad, his father just passed away earlier this year. He lived in El Reno. Uh, he was in his 90s when he passed. And for the last several years, they have had a 24-hour care provider uh, there. For, for a while it was just a few hours a day, then it increased to the full day, and then it increased towards the end to overnight as well. And he lived there by himself. His wife had passed several years ago. And that was a decision made uh, by him. He, he told them, he told his kids, he said, I am not moving. I do not want to live in a community setting. I want to live here, and I have the money to do so, and so that is what we will do. And so that's what they did. Now, it wasn't easy to do because guess what? He didn't like a lot of them. <laughs> and for $150,000 a year, you kind of think you want to like the person, right? Well, so that's not always as easy as one might think. I'm just saying, right? It sounds legit. I think I showed a slide last year. And by the way, there are just people out there who don't like anybody. Can we all agree on that? Right, I mean, because there are some good people that work for these organizations, both privately and with these agencies, and uh, and there are just some people who won't matter who they send in there. They're not going to like them. But uh, anyway, so um, I was going somewhere with that. That's okay. All right. Okay, so let's just keep going then. So those are costs to consider. Now, as a homeowner, you also have to consider the costs of maintaining your home over the years okay we all know this as homeowners so this is what we signed up for so let's consider those costs as well heating and air conditioning replacement i had a lower number on there chris and shannon increased it because they said i had lost my mind so anywhere between six and ten thousand or more and that depends on what they have to do with the vents and stuff if you've got problems with your floor vents and they have to go overhead that can cost more etc um, let's just say it needs to be repaired. Generally speaking, calling an heat and air person out is going to run 300 minimum, no matter what, even just to show up, and then somewhere around 500 on average. Roof, we all know that that's a moving target here in Oklahoma, right? Depending on your insurance um, and what they'll cover or not cover. It may not cost you anything 
right, if your insurance covers it all, or it could cost you the whole roof. Hot water tank, very common. Obviously, we've all probably replaced at least one of those in our lifetimes. Tree removal. Uh, here in Oklahoma, that's a big deal, right? After storms, if you live in an area that has lots of trees, you may end up having one on your house or one on your fence or one on your car or worse yet, on your neighbor's house fence or car. And so that's got to be removed. And then termites. Uh, we got termites here and tre treatment for that, somewhere around $1,200 for an average house. Remember, this all varies depending on the size of the home that you have, okay? Any other major repair costs that we might have that I didn't put up here? What do you consider average house size? Thank you for asking that. Average house that I'm considering is about a $200,000 house here in Oklahoma City, um, around 1,800 to 2,000 square feet. Yeah, okay. So a smaller house isn't gonna be much less, but a bigger house could be exponentially more. Make sense? Okay. Um, any other expenses on here that I don't have on here that you can go that you forgot that one Nikki okay the one I didn't put on here is foundation repairs and the only reason I didn't is because it's not common it's not like every day we run into that it does happen but it's not a major everyday expense so all right now let's assume again that you're gonna stay put and you're thinking about what is it gonna cost me to stay put home accessibility modifications. So we get asked this a lot. Um, people who uh, maybe use electric scooters or wheelchair and can't just load it in and out of their car. This is somebody who really needs to use it all the time uh, or who uses a walker all the time and you need a wheelchair ramp. Somewhere around 1000 to $2,000 depending on the length of the ramp and the type of ramp and if you're having it built or just having one installed, etc. Grab bars and installation, uh, this also depends on the type of grab bar and how many. Widening doorways, I, I didn't say this for the video folks, so 300 to 500 on the grab bars per bathroom. Widening doorways, this is a big one because um, as much as we would like to stay where we are, if someone is using a walker or using a wheelchair in some cases, the house just is difficult to navigate. Uh, so about a $500 to $1,000 per doorway. Now that depends, of course, right? Whether or not it can even be done or if they have to remove a wall or if there's load bearing and so on and so on. And then accessibility showers. So if you're pulling out an old shower or old tub, putting in a new one, uh, on average, uh, it's showing online, all my resources show between five and $6,000 average that's you know you can spend a whole lot of money right on a shower or you can do an enclosure that is a whole lot less so it depends on your taste and it depends on your home and it depends on a lot of factors okay the money for, for a lot of people is the easy part what's the hard part finding somebody to do it the labor right getting somebody to show up to do a job like that is harder, and as real estate agents, right, we are very aware of this, and most of the time our people are really good about, you know, getting out there, doing the job, finishing the job, estimating the job correctly, not telling you it's going to be this amount and then charging you this amount, right? So if you're going to do these kinds of things uh, and you need qualified people, 
um, be sure and reach out to us or um, another real estate agent that you trust that can provide you with some people. Okay, so now we've talked about the cost of living at home. Let's now talk about the cost of senior living should you decide to make a move. So there are different types of senior living. I'm just going to kind of go through the different ones and we're going to talk about numbers. So 55 and older living, not including meals. So these are going to be places like in Oklahoma City, there's a community called Grand Tapestry. There's one down south that used to be one of our sponsors as well called Whispering Creek, who we really care about and love. They just chose not to be sponsors this year because we didn't do a south event, but they're a great community. Um, there are others. These are typically for lease. They are going to be somewhere between $1,600 and $2,500 a month, depending on the size. And uh, they don't offer meals, so that's why that rate is where it is. And so annually, you're looking at $19,000 to $30,000 in rent. Okay, now that does not include, some of those include utilities, some of them do not. Keep that in mind. The apartments are typically going to include your, your water and your electric and gas. But sometimes if they're houses, if they're small homes, they may not include those utilities. That may be base rent and you pay your own utilities. Okay, does not include cable, anything like that at most of those communities. Now, this is the communities that um, are with meals. So 55 and older communities with meals. And most of the folks that I you know, talk with, the reason that they're moving, first of all, is because managing meals has just become difficult. Um, going shopping for their meals, cooking the meals, cleaning up, caring for a spouse that may need some additional care on, and handling that with them. So meals can be a big deal. So in Oklahoma City, they range on the low side from about $1,800 a month and can go up as high as about $6,000 a month. I don't know of any that are higher than that. Um, and that's, that's an extreme, right, the $6,000. Generally, if you go middle of the road, $2,500, that's for one person. You add a second person to that, uh, and that's going to go up by anywhere from, say, five to $700 for that second person. Is that right? about right, Caitlin? Yeah. So annually, you're looking anywhere from $22,000 to $72,000 uh, for that rent. Now, those, are gonna, those communities are going to include your utilities. They're, they're kind of a turnkey arrangement, with some exceptions, meaning internet. Some of them may ask you to pay for your own internet, but most of them offer it on site. It's if you want to upgrade or you want it in your own apartment, sometimes you have to pay extra. But that sometimes includes a little bit of housekeeping, um, transportation to doctor's offices, shopping, um, day excursions, etc. We call those full service communities, right? Those offer basically everything you would need right there on site. What they don't offer is medical. There's no health care provided there, right? So there's no health care benefit at that level. So what we're talking about is an unlicensed community, generally speaking, or at least the independent portion. If it's a CCRC, they're licensed, but it's a different kind of license. So plan on about $2,500 a month for a couple, especially uh, on average. I will tell you, we have one sponsor, uh, well, two sponsors, actually, um, uh, Hefner Mansions and Lionwood, who fall in that 1800-ish category. 
And now keep in mind that rent goes up annually, right? Almost always. Now we don't know if it will this year or not, we'll see. But two to 3% annually increase. And so keep that in mind. And so what will happen, and I'm just gonna give you a heads up, this is kind of a marketing strategy that we see out there. When a new community is being built, we saw this in Edmond about two or three years, three years ago now, they would build a brand new community, beautiful, they market the heck out of it, right? And they come in with really low rent. <laughs> right? Getcha. Getcha, yeah. So what happens is people go, yeah, I'm in, that's really great, I haven't seen that kind of rent at these other places, and they move in. Sometimes they move in from other communities, sometimes they move in from home. And then what happens after your lease is up? It increases, yeah. They get they go to the market rate, whatever that happens to be, and they then all of a sudden they're kind of in the mainstream with everybody else. So don't don't be you know deceived by that. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I think it's great to take advantage of that, but you just have to know if you're budgeting because we're here. We're talking about paying for senior living, right? I had a lady yesterday, literally at the end of the day. Uh, Naomi sent me a message to call her. She's living out of community and uh, she is paying for rent what she receives in Social Security. So she has no extra, right, no extra. If that rent goes up, what's gonna happen? She can't do it. So where is she, she said, where can I move? And so we looked at options and she didn't like any of them. And I'll tell you why in a second. So the third category on here is subsidized. $55 community. So I talk about this because I think people need to know that there are communities out there for people in that income range that just can't quite make that $2,500 a month or $1,800 a month. They're, uh, they're income-based, so you have to apply. And so think about it as like Section 8 for seniors. You've heard of Section 8 housing for families. Um, no, it's a, it's a HUD product. So it's, it's a subsidized product um, and it, you go through the Oklahoma Housing Authority and it's, you apply for it and they take your application, they, they want to know your income and they want to know your expenses and then they do an adjusted uh, income. And generally speaking, there's, there's two ways they figure it and I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but you can plan on the rent being 30% of your monthly gross income and then depending on if you have a lot of medical expenses and things like that it could be you know less all right i called a uh, there are other subsidized communities besides the ones that i'm referring to now that let's say baptist retirement village baptist retirement village is a ccrc they have all levels of care and they offer some assistance to a limited number of people that want to move there with lower income so I had a gentleman uh, last year the year before, and I called on his behalf because I thought he might qualify. His Social Security was 900 and something a month. That was his only income source. He had a house, but it was mortgaged to the hilt, and it went back to the bank. And so I thought, surely he'll qualify to live out there, right? And it may be a waiting list, but we'll get him on the list. So we applied with the Oklahoma City Housing Authority for those communities, and then I called Baptist Retirement Village, and. She said, well, Nikki, she said, just tell me what he makes because I can kind of tell you if he'll qualify or not. And I said, well, his Social Security checks are like 900 a month. And she goes, oh, yeah, he won't qualify. 
And I said, you got to kid me. And she said, no. She said, Nikki, we have people living here who have social security checks of $275 a month, and that's their only income. Jesus is right, right? $275 a month is what some people are living on, and Baptist Retirement Village is providing them with housing for a portion of that, right? Not even all of it, just a portion of that. So can they do that for everyone? No. So they have a limited number of uh, units that they can help people with, um, and they, they, you have to go through the Baptist Retirement Village process, right? That's, they have their own entity that you apply for for those kinds of things. So then there are apartment complexes that have uh, income that are income-based. And so there's one out in Yukon right now, residents of uh, Yukon Hills has uh, income-based. There's uh, a couple other ones being built. We have a list of several of these, Superbia Retirement Community out off Council and uh, Hefner, Council in Britain, that area. Um, and just know that if it is a subsidized community, I can promise you there is a waiting list. How long the waiting list is will depend on how old the community is and how well run it is and the location, etc. So if you know of people or you yourself need a uh, income-based community you need to go ahead and apply and find out if you can get a spot on the waiting list because when those apartments come available it's pretty much a move now situation because um, uh, they have a list that's long. If you're a homeowner you're probably not going to qualify for these right because once you liquidate your house what do you have? Money. Right? <laughs> So if most homeowners don't qualify for these, I'm not going to say you won't, but I'm going to say most don't. So these are typically people who do not own their own home. All right. So then you have the next kind of level of care after independent, which is assisted. And I'm lumping memory care into this as well because they're licensed under assisted living with the state. So the prices may vary a little bit, but I'm just gonna lump them all together here for purposes of this talk. So assisted living is uh, meant to be what, just what it says, assisted, right? You're pretty independent overall, but you need a little support. So they offer three meals a day. They offer nursing on, on site that can help with things like medication, bathing, um, you know, helping people dress that may be struggling with that, hygiene of, uh, across the board. Um, this is where, you know, used to people went from home into nursing care, uh, nursing homes, we call them long-term care, health care now. So now assisted living is kind of that next step, unfortunately, unless someone has really extreme medical problems that assisted living can't handle. So assisted living you gets the word, the term assisted living gets utilized broadly and a lot of people don't understand it. They'll say my mom or dad, is, they're moving to assisted living and they're actually moving to Spanish Cove or Bradford Village into an independent living apartment that's independent and beautiful. It's like, no, 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 they're not moving into assisted living, right? So assisted living gets used incorrectly sometimes. What what we're looking at for purposes of today is a it's a healthcare product, it's a healthcare community where someone really does need support. Now, it's private pay. Here's I'm going to be really clear. The reason someone might not move to assisted living and instead they move into a nursing home 
is if financially they can't afford the $3,300 or whatever the amount might be for assisted. Because Medicaid does not cover assisted here. There's maybe two communities, maybe, maybe three now. At one point there were two in Oklahoma that would cover assisted living under Medicaid, okay? So assisted living is almost like, um, it's a luxury item for people who can afford it, who need a little help. Um, annually about $40,000. Now keep in mind that different communities charge differently based on the type of service that they offer. So they have a base rent, some of them, plus whatever you might need, okay? Others like Quail Ridge, for instance, will charge a full service rate. This is our rate and it includes everything whether you need it or not. Okay, so you kind of have to, when you go shop at these communities, you have to know what you're comparing because they all, they all price themselves a little bit differently. Memory care uh, would fall under that higher price point because let's say somebody goes in and they do have uh, cognitive impairment and they need really need 24-hour supervision. They're constantly being monitored. Let's say they're incontinent, those kinds of things. That's going to be a higher price than somebody who just needs help with bathing. So that 33 is like a middle number. It could be as high as 45 or 5,000. It could be as maybe as low as, what would be the lowest, you guys, uh, in the industry, would you say? 25? 27. 27? Something like that? Okay. So does that make sense, you guys? All right. Nursing care. This is where every, almost everybody I talk to, this is where their mind goes when they think of senior living because this is what we started with way back when but it's, it's evolved, right? Now we have assisted and we have standalone memory cares and we have CCRCs, but nursing care is what people think of. And this is where people generally uh, go in their mind because after a surgery or for rehab, people will go to rehab and it's oftentimes connected to a long-term care community, right? So say Bellevue, for instance, they go to Bellevue for rehab, but there are some people who go there for rehab and then they go home. There are some people who go there for rehab and then they go to long-term care and they stay there for the rest of their lives, right? So they do both. Some places don't. Some people just do rehab. Some places just do long-term care. And some places do both. So it can be confusing. The cost of this is um, a very interesting phenomenon, right? And I'm going to show you a graph here in a second. But this is the cost of long-term care nursing in a semi-private room. In other words, you're sharing a room with somebody, which a lot of these communities are. And if someone is on Medicaid, I promise you they're not getting a private room. Okay? So if you're on Medicaid, you're in a semi-private room. 5,200 a month, annually 63,000. Now they bill per day. I'm just showing you rates to be consistent with the other ones, okay? But they're going to bill on a daily rate. Long-term nursing care in a private room is going to be somewhere in that 7,500 middle of the road range. It will be more at the nicer communities, okay? It will be more at the nicer communities. That's about an average. How many of you want to write a check for that? Nobody wants to write a check for that, but there are people out there writing a check for that every month, right? Because that's what they need. So we got to plan for that. 
here are the uh, graphs that I pulled off of uh, Genworth. And Genworth is, uh, has been tracking these numbers since like 2004, I think they said, maybe even longer. Um, let me see if it says on there. No, I think that's what it says. So look at the, look at the increase in assisted living since 2004. Um, Chris and I started working almost predominantly with seniors and downsizers back in 2000. And 2000 to 2005, we built our business, and in 2005, we sold our move management and real estate business and moved to Florida, just in time for the market to crash out there. Wasn't that great? That was so smart. So smart. Okay, but I remember when we first started working um, with seniors, this is when the Sterling houses were being built. You guys remember those? Right now, their Hefner mansions would look like those, and the Silver Elms kind of look like those. They, they Brookdale's look like those. Um, single level, uh, and Sterling House was a big thing. And I remember thinking this was the best thing ever, and you know, it really it was. It was like really a great innovative thing. And uh, the clients that we moved, in many cases, were moving to assisted living, were fairly independent, and they really did just need assisted living. They didn't need health care per se. They wanted meals and they wanted a little help. Maybe sometimes they felt a little unsteady in the shower. They kind of like somebody to be there to be available to them. Now, who's moving to assisted living? People are moving out of the hospital into assisted living. The cost of care has gone up because the acuity of the people living there has gone up. The people living in assisted living need more help, which requires more nursing and more people, right, and more equipment and all these things. And so the cost of care has gone up. The second thing that has happened, it has become a major industry, right? It's become a, like nursing homes were a business model that people bought because it was profitable. Assisted living has turned into that model. I get a newsletter on a regular basis from uh, called Senior Housing News, and I, I it, subscribe to the blog because I thought it would be informative for me, right, as I help people downsize. And what I realized is that um, all of the conversation that goes on in that newsletter is about profits. It's about investor profit, okay? So assisted living at a private sector level, not necessarily at a not-for-profit level, but at a private sector level has become a business. So the cost has gone up both and, right? There's no no right or wrong, it's just the reality. Private nursing home costs from 2004. Look at the difference there. Now here's the thing about nursing uh, communities is that people will live longer in assisted living now and only a short period of time in nursing care because it's generally viewed as an end of life place to go, okay, out of the hospital into nursing, person passes in nursing. So they're not going to live there generally for many, many years except one classification of person and that is the person who can't afford assisted living and needs Medicaid and so Medicaid is providing housing for people in nursing care because that's all that they can do. So when you hear aging in place mantra, right, like you hear the government and the legislators and everybody shouting from the mountaintops, we want people to age in place, right? 
The reason is because if they don't, the people in the in the category that have not planned for retirement and do not have the funds may be due to no fault of their own. This isn't a judgment thing. This is just a, a, a reality. They're going to move out of their home into nursing care, in which case, who's paying for that? Medicaid is. In Oklahoma, it's called Sooner Care. Okay, So it's being paid for through our state health insurance for the indigent. So the aging in place movement is to keep people in their homes so that they don't have to do this. Well, what happens is it translates to the people who can afford better, higher quality residential options, right? And they hear, oh, I should age in place. Well, that's really designed as a, it's really designed as a message to the masses so that we don't have to pay for you. We want you to age in place successfully. If you can afford to move, they don't care if you move or not. Does that make sense? But nobody says that. They just tell everybody they should age in place. It's a choice. The more money you have, the more what you have? Choices. Choices. It provides you with options, okay? So private nursing home costs uh, out of control. We don't expect that to get better anytime soon. Um, the biggest challenge they're having right now, I think everybody would agree, is staffing. It's labor. They cannot find people to work, uh, and, and the more we uh, disallow immigrants, the more people we lack in these communities. Because right now, guys, the people working in these communities are typically uh, immigrants. I, I'm just saying. They're, they're typically immigrants, and we cannot get our young people to go to school to do this. And so we're going to have to figure out a solution. That's a whole different talk. So here's the kind of the overall view of costs, and so you got everything from private nursing to home care, including what I talked about earlier that uh, our sponsors provide. So it's all going up, right? It's all going up, and it has to. It has to to deal with the level of care. So how many of you have ever said to somebody when they've asked, "Are you going to move to one of those retirement communities?" and you've said, "I'm not ready." What's the word that comes next? I heard you say it to Karen earlier, yet, right? I'm going to stay as long as I can. Well, of course. I mean, that's human nature. So what happens is people go, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I'm going to, and, and here's the challenge. I, I, am, I walk such a fine line because I am a big proponent of taking care of yourself and being healthy, right? And yet I have on the other side of this, I go, okay, but anything can happen, right? So a stroke can happen. Uh, dementia can happen, Parkinson's can happen, things can happen. So it's like you, you plan for the best and the worst, right? You kind of have to plan for both. So um, this brings me to a category I haven't talked about yet, and it's called life care. Uh, please understand, this is my little disclosure, I do not work, nor have I ever worked for any community that I'm going to talk about today. I don't work for any of our sponsors. I, don't, I haven't ever. And I have an opinion, and I'm going to share it today. And some people are going to like it, and some people aren't, and some people are going to think I play favorites, and that's okay. This, for me, is about what I see happening, and this is about um, the misconceptions that people have about senior living. I hear people say a lot that they cannot afford what is called the life care programs at communities. Let me explain what those are. Continuing care retirement communities. Have you guys heard of those? Yeah, we talk about them a lot here. So we've got Bradford Village, we've got Spanish Cove, Concordia, 
uh, Fountains at Canterbury, those are our sponsors. And then in addition to that, we have Epworth Villa, we have uh, Baptist Retirement Village, there are a couple of uh, communities up in Tulsa as well. Uh, did I miss any? I think I got them all here in Oklahoma City, right? So there's only about five here. Um, some communities will call themselves Continuum of Care. That is different. That just means they have multiple levels. It doesn't mean that they are a CCRC, which has every level. Here's an example. Uh, Touchmark up in Edmond. Beautiful community, um, really nice folks up there. It has independent living, assisted living, and memory care. There is no long-term care. They don't have skilled, and they don't have long-term health care. So it doesn't qualify under the CCRC category. Does that make sense? So if you go to the hospital and you need skilled nursing when you leave, you're going to go somewhere else because Touchmark doesn't have that. Now, at all the other ones that I named, they're going to offer that option back at your home community. And then once you have recovered and rehabbed, you go back to whatever apartment you had before or cottage that you have there at that community. It's part of their agreement with you. Okay, so what life care contracts do, and these communities offer lots of different contracts. I'm not going to talk about all of them because that's not my wheelhouse. But what I want to talk about today is the life care contract. And so all those types of communities that I just went through and the pricing and everything on them, think about those as being retail prices. If you walk in the door of a community that offers any of those services, that's what they're going to charge you. What a CCRC does, a life care contract does, is you pay an upfront fee on an, an agreed upon amount with that community, and it's all different, it's not regulated, it's just this is the amount, um, and some contracts are refundable upon your death or when you move out, some are not. Um, they offer a variety, so that's something you would want to check on at that community or those various communities. But all of the contracts that are life care offer these two guarantees. One is that they're going to provide for you a lifetime of care, which means you are independent, everything's great, you're doing wonderful, and then something happens, whether it's a health, of the health event or whatever, and you need more care, like assisted, like you need somebody to help you bathe or dress or eat, or you went through surgery and you're recovering, they're going to allow you to move to that part of the community to receive that care, either temporarily or permanently, for a predetermined price. Okay? So you're not walking in off the street and here's the amount. You have agreed upon when you moved in there to begin with as an independent person that this is the amount you're going to pay should you ever need that. And it's generally less. Well, it's not generally. It's always less. It's going to be less than the person walking in off the street. You're negotiating that price based on the time you move in. So let's say you don't need that care for 10 years. Which, by the way, I have a client right now, we're helping move from uh, independent living into assisted living at Spanish Cove. They're in their 90s. They've lived there 20 years. 20. I'm going to assume, and I have no idea, by the way, because I don't get into their financial conversations, but whatever they're going to pay in assisted living is going to be nowhere near what the person who's walking in today moving into assisted living. Because did you see my little graph? 
They moved in 20 years ago. So assisted living 20 years ago was how much? Not even 20. Let's just go back to 2004. How long is that? I would love, matter of fact, I may ask them at some point. I don't know. They, they, they may tell me or not. But I would love to know what their contracted rate is because it's not going to be what our contracted rate would be today, right? So we don't know what the change is going to be. We don't know what 20 years from now is going to look like or 10. And so by going in on a life care contract, you're basically locking in your rate at today's prices. Now, they're going to have some sort of inflation clause, of course, right? Of course. But it's not going to be to the degree that, um, that we have it today. Availability is the second thing. And I talk about this a lot, y'all. If you've been with me any at all, you've heard me say this. The biggest challenge for a lot of people isn't money, it's availability. Finding a community when you need it on a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock isn't as easy as it sounds. And so a life care contract guarantees that when you leave whatever place you are, whether it's a hospital or whatever, and you need care, nursing care, they are contractually bound to provide it to you. Let's say the community's full. Something happened and heaven forbid the community's full, which they all have provisions to prevent that, by the way. But let's just say something happened. Something like maybe COVID. <laughs> that may never happen, right? And let's just say that they're, they're full. They are contractually bound to find you another equally, um, equal type of care for the time you need it until they can provide it. It may be off-site. Let's say they had to find another community for you off-site for a few days before they could open up a bed. But they're contractually bound. If, if you don't have that, who has to figure that out? If you're not in a life care contract, who has to find that place? Either you or your family, right? And, I, and I'll tell you, discharge planners at hospitals are well-meaning and overworked. And they're going to try to help you, but at the end of the day, guess who they're going to call? Bill Murr. <laughs> All right, he's not here today, but Bill Murr is one of our sponsors with Compass Senior Living. The discharge planners are going to go, oh my gosh, this person needs to find a place to live. And they don't live at a Concordia or a Bradford Village or a Spanish Cove. They live uh, at any other community. And they say, okay, I need to find a place for them to live. I'm going to call Bill Murr and I'm going to have him help me. And he's going to then go out and try to scout a place for you. And that place may be Guthrie. It may be Choctaw. <laughs> It may be Norman because every bed in Oklahoma City may be full. I'm just, I'm painting a picture here because you need to hear it. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll just go there. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But a life care contract guarantees that you have a spot. And it guarantees that spot at whatever price point. Um, one of my good friends uh, in Kingfisher, her mom lives in a CCRC. And she's in her 90s now, and she's doing fine. She's pretty independent. She's a um, really neat lady, stays busy. And she, um, when COVID came and kind of created this weird bubble that we're all living in, she got a little bit scared. And she isolated too, right? She lives alone in her own apartment. And she wasn't taking her medication right for some reason. I don't know why. 
And I, I don't think she was eating well either. Even though they're providing meals and delivering them and all that stuff, is people are weird right now, right? Like our bodies are weird. So she was not taking care of herself. And her friend said, I just talked to her one day, and she said, you know, I think I'm going to move over to the assisted living for a little while. And so they called the nursing staff, and the nursing staff said, yeah, sure, of course. So she, temporarily she's staying in a guest apartment in their assisted living. They've, they've provided her medications to her so that she's taking them properly. She's eating three meals a day. Guess what? Two months later, she's feeling better. She's ready to go back to her apartment, right? That's the beauty of a life care community. Um, and for her, she's not paying for both of those apartments. You know, there's, there, it's part of her deal with them, right? Okay, so how do people afford it? I mean, how do you afford to move to a community? I know a lot of people ask me, well, gosh, Nikki, how do people afford this? Because to, the entry fee to a life care community could be somewhere in the, say, on the low end, 75000 and that's because somebody's doing a, a, a really good thing right now, a really good deal. But somewhere playing on in Oklahoma, those of you who are listening from all across the country are saying she's missing a zero there somewhere. Um, but seventy-five thousand to say upwards of three hundred thousand, or even if you're going into a large cottage somewhere and you're a couple, maybe upwards of five hundred thousand. But not generally here in Oklahoma. Okay, it's you're looking at somewhere in that seventy-five to say two hundred fifty thousand is for two people, one person one hundred fifty easily. Is that a fair statement, you guys? Big range. Big range. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't want to get. Yeah, Caitlin's going. Oh, and and remember, there's factors: refundable contracts, non-refundable contracts. So I'm not here to teach you about CCRC, but I'm saying most people equity from their primary residence is how they're paying for this. Homeowners have the ability to transfer their equity from their home into their life care contract. I was meeting with uh, a group out at Concordia a few years back, and Val Reed, who lives out there, she's lived out there since they built that community, said to me, um, I said, how did you justify the expense of an entry fee? That was my question to the group. And she said, well, she's a retired realtor, I should say this. She said, I saw it as a real estate transaction. She said, I took the equity out of my house that I had invested in my home, and I reinvested it in my home here. And she saw it as a transaction, right? It was, it was not a cost to her, it was a reinvestment. So then people, some people do have rental properties, and so instead of um, needing the money out of their primary residence, they'll liquidate rental properties. Um, they may uh, liquidate a second home or a vacation home somewhere uh, that they're not using anymore. And then, of course, very commonly, they'll dip into their investment portfolio, whatever that looks like. Now, this is where I get questions as a real estate agent that I can't answer for people, okay? This is where you have to go to Philip, or you have to go out to talk to Curtis's group out at Arvest, or whoever your financial advisor is to say, okay, here, here's my portfolio. If I'm going to take some money out of this and apply it towards my my life care community or my rent, what would I do? And they'll help you work through that so that you're not penalized, hopefully, um, by doing it. And then the last piece on here is this family gifting. And I bring this up because um, not everyone has the funds in any of these categories, but maybe they have inheritance coming. 
right? So they have a family member that is going to, at some point, bequeath to them their inheritance. They can go ahead and gift that up front. So I've seen people do that as well. So um, if you're blessed in that regard, that can be a good thing to do. Other funding sources. This is where we've done panels uh, many times on these topics. Uh, the first one, the reverse mortgage, I'm going to come back to that after this slide, but uh, if you're going to stay put and live in your own home and you're tapped out on money and you need to do a home improvement, something for accessibility or something like that, you can take the equity out of your home and apply it towards that. And I'll talk about that more here in just a minute. Long-term care insurance. If you don't have long-term care insurance already, um, depending on where you are in your phase of life and your health and all that stuff, there are products out there now that these guys that are wealth advisors can talk to you about that are hybrid long-term care insurance uh, products. So you can buy an insurance policy that has like a long-term care rider on it. And so talk to them about that. But more importantly, I think if you have a long-term care insurance policy, it is so, so, so critical that you have somebody review it. Um, if you haven't had anybody do that in a while, and I know that um, there's a staff member out at Concordia that will do it at no charge, whether you're moving to Concordia or not, they're just really great about it. She's been doing it a long time. There are people like Eunice Corey with Well Preserved who will sit down and look at your long-term care policy. I know uh, Arvest, Curtis, and those guys will do that on a regular basis. So just have somebody look at it with you. And the reason I say that is because, remember, assisted living started, gosh, what was it, the 1990s, mid-1990s, something like that? And when they started issuing these long-term care policies, they used certain language to describe what that is. And now the language has changed. So what we call memory care it's probably not going to be called memory care in a long-term care insurance policy that was written way back when, okay? And so what happens is you go to make a claim on that long-term care insurance and they deny the claim, not because the service isn't accurate, but because the, the vernacular has changed. So have those reviewed for any red flags that need to be addressed so that you know what your policy will cover. Uh, veteran aid and attendance. We've talked about that at many, many of our seminars, and those of you who want to go back, we have recordings of all of these seminars. And if you haven't heard the one where we talk about VA aid and attendance, go back and you can listen to, to those. But VA aid and attendance is for people who have veteran benefits. There's lots and lots of different qualifications I'm not going to get in here to today. But it's going to pay somewhere around $1,700 for a spouse of a veteran to upwards of $2,200 a month for a veteran if they qualify. You may or may not have heard, but last year they changed the rules on veterans uh, aid attendance. It, typically, it covers medical, okay, so it covers whether you're living in your home or you're moving into assisted living or independent living and you need medical support. The, what they changed was like Medicaid, you know how with Medicaid, uh, you have to qualify financially with your asset base. You can't have more than $2,000 in your name. Well, veteran uh, aid and attendance is now doing a look back period for the same thing. So if you normally would have qualified for veteran aid and attendance, 
because you were able to shift your assets to a trust doing some retirement planning, now you're going to have to wait two years. Or is it two or five? Five. Five years. So if you shift your assets through a legal, uh, lawful way of doing it, it's legal to do, but they're going to go, well, you're going to have to wait. There's now a waiting period that you can qualify. So unfortunately, for those people who used to be able to go, okay, well, when I need it, I'll apply for it and I'll get it. Now there's a period of time you have to wait. So for people who have money and they're just trying to secure it, um, you need to talk with somebody in that field to, to do that. Sooner Care here in Oklahoma is the same thing as Medicaid. So Sooner Care is provide to people who cannot afford health insurance otherwise, right? So families uh, as well as adults as well as seniors. So Medicaid, guys, um, is a last resort, right? It's not a fallback, it's a last resort. And you basically have to spend everything down to $2,000 before you qualify. $2,000 in your name. So if you sell your house to move into a nursing community and you spend, you're going to spend how much a year did we say in a nursing community per year? Could be up to what? For a semi-private room? 63000 So two years, let's assume you paid, you had $120,000 equity in your house, you spent two years in a nursing community, you've now spent all your money except for $2,000, now you can apply for Medicaid. You guys get that, right? Now they'll let you apply and be on Medicaid up front, but they're gonna, they're, they're gonna have you spend it down. There's a process that you, they call it a spend down process, and a caseworker can work with you on that if you know somebody. Um, I tell people all the time, though, not to think of Medicaid as, my dad did it, and that's why it's so top of mind. I said, Dad, I said, you know, how will we afford if you want to move to the nursing community, which is what he said his option would be, that's what he would choose if he had to move somewhere. I said, how will we pay for that? And he said, well, we'll just, Medicaid will pay for it. I said, well, this, that sounds so easy, Dad, but that's not how it works, right? So if people have this mentality. They also say, what? Medicare will pay for it. Let's everyone be really clear right now. Do you, does anybody see Medicare on that list at all? Medicare does not pay for nursing care. It only pays for short-term short stay after hospitalization for skilled nursing, okay? It doesn't pay for long-term care at all or assisted living at all. The Advantage Waiver Program pays for, it's a part of Medicaid or it's a it's a similar product as Medicaid. It pays for people to live in their own home with Medicaid services, okay, paid services. So nursing care, some rehab, um, personal in-home care, that kind of thing in their own home. Adult daycare also can be covered by that. And then people who are uh, members of a Native American tribe may also have tribal benefits, okay. Again, these are typically offered for people who have no other means. Okay. All right. I told you I'd come back to the reverse mortgage conversation real quick. Um, I just want to touch on it because I've had more and more people ask me, and I think it's because of all the commercials on TV. Mm -hmm. um, reverse mortgage is also called a home equity conversion mortgage or HECM. And all it really is, it's a mortgage. It's an FHA loan where you take the equity from your house, about 50% of it, depending on your age, 
and you're able to use it for whatever means you want. They don't ask you why you want to use it. It's just available to you. And um, there's no payment required on it. So it's they're, they're charging you interest, just like any mortgage, but the interest is being added on to the principal. Okay? So assuming your house is appreciating and you've got this 50% balance of the balance of your, that you took out and they're adding interest to it and your house continues to appreciate, you should be okay to a degree, right? But what happens if the house is depreciating? Right? You could end up owing more on the house than it's worth, which would mean you'd have no equity, or you can make payments on it. They allow you to make payments on it, whether it's just interest payments or more. So you can make payments on it. They typically, reverse mortgage, they will issue either a lump sum or monthly installments. Like So now they're paying you instead of you paying them. Isn't that weird? Right? So they're making a payment to you from your home equity over time, and then the principal is accruing interest. The reason people do it is because, let's say, you do need to do a home modification that we talked about earlier so you can stay put, but you don't have investments or you don't have cash or you don't have, or you don't want to take it out, and you would rather borrow against your house to do it. You can do that, but you're not incurring an expense, so there's no payment required to you for the life of the loan. You can live there until you die and never make a payment. So let's say you uh, have willed that house to your heirs, uh, the heirs inherit the house, they call me to sell it, we go in, we look at what's the loan balance, and you pay it off just like any other loan. And they have a year to do that. Make sense? The reason it got a bad rap is because years ago, um, they did reverse mortgages when they first came out with them. They weren't FHA products, they were conventional loan products. And what was happening is people weren't paying their taxes or insurance on the house um, because that was something they were responsible for and they were getting foreclosed on, not because of the mortgage, but because of the taxes that were owed. And so they've established now that has to be escrowed or they have to show that they have enough money to pay it. There's some provisions for that. There's about, a, there's an education process around that. But reverse mortgages can be used as a tool. I've had people, um, some of the financial planners can talk to you about it. Some people utilize that equity um, for investments and to leverage. Um, I wouldn't let somebody ever talk you into doing that, by the way. Uh, I'm going to speak to the ladies in the room. If, a, if an investment advisor ever says to you, you should take out a reverse mortgage and use the money you get to invest it with me, then you should probably call one of our sponsors and talk to them about the benefits of doing that or not doing that because that's that's a scheme that it's legal but it's probably not in your best interest unless it's something that uh, has been talked about at length okay I'm gonna stop there so let's talk about senior living let's talk about how to pay for it and whatever else you want to talk about go Karen what's it like in the senior living communities now with COVID? yeah I talked to my stepmom who lives in another state yeah. It sounds extremely yeah. Independent living? Yeah. yeah. So Karen's asking what is it like in senior living communities right now amidst the shelter in place uh, kind of policies, right? And you said your mom or your stepmom? Stepmom's step living in an independent living community in another state. Um, so I'm going to speak to that and I'll have some of our communities might want to speak to it. Anybody else wants to speak to it? Um, so you know my favorite phrase is it depends, right? 
right? So let's start with it depends. Um, so we have been helping people move within communities lately. So we helped somebody move to Bradford Village recently into a cottage. Uh, we've helped some folks move to Spanish Cove into a cottage as well as uh, independent into assisted. So we've been on some of the campuses uh, off and on recently. And I also did a focus group with uh, some folks that live at different communities. And here's what I'm finding. There is a, there's a group, there, there's a kind of, a, let's talk called camps. We have this camp who says, I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel like I'm being protected. Yes, I'm sheltering in place, yes, I'm isolated. Yes, I am quarantined, yes, I can't go out, whatever it is, and I'm okay with that because it feels safe to me. Okay, you got that group of people. Then you've got the group of people who are about to crawl out of their skin because they go, okay, yes, I'm safe and I get that they're trying to protect me, but I need to get out, right? This is not okay with me. It's not, it doesn't feel good to be told I can't leave. I'm a grown person. I, I need to be able to come and go as I please, and I can't do that. So you've got these two camps, right? But the majority, so if you think of it, the majority of them are somewhere in the middle, right? They're going, I feel really safe and it feels good over here, but man, I sure do want to get out. But then when the news comes out that we've got increasing cases, what do they do? They come back over to this side, right? And they go, okay, I'm going to stay safe. Now, there are some challenges. And this is my, my observation, and I'm going to speak. Uh, John Branscombe and I had a nice conversation uh, this morning. And he has a client. Can I, can I tell the story? And then, okay, so you can tell me if, I, if you need to tell me something different. But he has a client living in a CCRC. Uh, an independent living setting, under one, all under one roof, and the person needed um, some surgery. Surgery? A treatment. Treat. Treatment. And the treatment, um, you know, is outside. You've got to go out of the community. And what they're saying is that you, you, if you go out at all and you come back in, you have to stay in your apartment for 14 days. You cannot go out of your apartment. And... Mm to shuffle paper for signatures for anything is being done through the, they open the door they put papers on the chair outside the door the resident opens the door takes the papers off the chair takes them in their apartment signs them opens the door puts them back on the chair somebody comes and gets them takes them to the front door of the community out the door to whomever came to pick them up <sighs> sounds like a lot of work doesn't it it also sounds very confining. Um, I'll tell you that there are some folks that are having, they're declining. There are some folks that are declining um, their health, their mental health, and their physical health. We have one gentleman who moved from uh, independent into assisted living, he and his wife. Uh, she has memory impairment. They really did need to move, unfortunately. It's, you know, it's just a, an ongoing process that it became where he could no longer care for her in the independent living setting. But he told me when I was sitting there with him one day talking, he said, you know, this whole thing, this COVID thing has just really uh, had done a number on me. He said, I used to golf every day. He said, till my 92-year-old golf partner started falling down when he swung. And he made a big joke of it, but he said, it's true, it did happen, so we quit golfing. And he said, and I noticed that my Parkinson's symptoms worsened after I couldn't golf regularly. And then he said, here at the community, I was, instead of golfing, I was going to exercise class every day. 
Now he was doing yoga and working out with weights and doing different things. Well, when COVID happened and they had to stop doing those activities, he found that his symptoms were worsening even more. So his physical ability to care for himself became a challenge. We have an online question and you're ready. Okay, just one, yeah, we'll take it next. So, um, so that's a challenge. So we're seeing people struggling to find ways to stay active. Now, on the focus group that I did, which is interesting, and the reason that certain people I think showed up for the focus group is because these are the happiest people on earth. They're living in a community that is an open campus. So like, if you take the difference between say Spanish Cove and Bradford Village, they're independent living communities. They have uh, individual units, like single family homes and apartments that are kind of spread out, right? Whereas campuses like Concordia is all under one roof. Um, for the most part, all of Fountains of Canterbury is under one roof, Epworth Villa under one roof. Those folks are a little more restricted uh, if they're under one roof, like John's client, um, because everything's under one roof. Now, the other thing that will kind of dictate how that's being handled is leadership. The leaders in those different organizations are tasked with making a decision on behalf of the entire resident body. Think about it, right? So they're having to make these decisions and they're absolutely putting safety before anything else in some cases. Others are saying to the residents, we're giving you the freedom to decide because we believe that that's important uh, for your well-being just as much as your health is your physical health. So every community is a little different, um, to your point. Assisted living right now, you guys, is locked down, period. Locked down. I can't go in. They can't come out. They can go out for certain things, but when they come back, they have to go to their apartment and stay put. Um, it's, it's disheartening, to be honest, that, that piece of it. Um, we just recently had a client that was living in assisted living. We did a Zoom call. We did three or four Zoom calls with her at her house and I would show her her things using my cell phone. She had a, the staff there provided her with a notebook that she could watch me and I would say, okay, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And we spent hours going through her house deciding what she wanted. And then we boxed it up, took it to the community, set it in the entryway. The community took it up to her and she'd go through it box by box. Talk about an arduous process. Right? But they're, they're adapting, and we're adapting, and everybody's adapting. And it's not pleasant, that part of it. That being said, the open campuses, people are in the independent living area are living kind of normal lives. Right? They're coming and going. They're doing walks around the community. They're pretty active. Some of the independent living communities have opened up their exercise classes now again. Some of their uh, social activities, um, not meals yet, right? Congregate meals are not being served, but what they're doing is they're delivering meals to people to their door. So they're still preparing meals. Um, according to my, my contacts at all of these communities, the meals are always great there, by the way. <laughs> but I don't know about y'all, I order my food to go from, say, Outback or BJ's or Charleston's. It's never as good to go as it is in the restaurant, is it? Ever. It's just not as good. And so I will tell you that that's, if I got one complaint, that's the complaint, is the food is just not quite as good. It's the same food, it's just served in a styrofoam container, just doesn't taste as good. Right? They don't get it at the time they're used to get it. 
That's right, and it's not provided at the time that they're normally getting it, and so the routine has been disrupted, and that's a challenge for a lot of people, yeah. So thank you for that question. Did I answer it sufficiently? Yeah, yeah. it sounds as challenging. It's a challenge everywhere, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's the online question, Chris. So, so the online question is asking to clarify assisted living. I, by the way, it's asked, I'm assuming when you move from independent to assisted, what are the additional costs? And I'm assuming we're talking about CCRC specifically. So I think the question is, when you're moving from independent living to assisted living in a CCRC, what are the additional costs? And I, I'm going to defer that question. I'll answer it generally. There will be additional costs, and it depends on the contract. But it's if you think about it in terms of meals, so most of the independent living uh, at these communities, they offer meal plans. And they're generally one or two meals a day or five meals a week versus seven or something like that. But in assisted living, you're getting three meals a day. And so there's an increase for the cost of meals. And then there's a little increase for the level of care, but it's not huge. So let's say maybe let's say it's $600 an increase from independent to assisted living as opposed to doubling, right? That's well, huge time, it's just the meals. So it's about $473 about 470 something dollars at Spanish Cove for the difference between independent and assisted a month yeah 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 and that's for one person so if there's two people that would be for both people right yeah same you double it yeah depending on the meal yeah yeah again it depends but that's a good question but I think that what you do when you go to these communities and you're touring and when we do our bus trips that's what we were doing we we're like okay tell us and every one of these communities, I love the fact that they all have a schedule. They will show you, if this happens, this would be your cost. And if this happens, this would be your cost. And it's all laid out. So it's very transparent what it's going to be. And that's the beauty behind this. So, yeah, good question. All right, any other questions or thoughts? Yeah? Is there a memory daycare in Oklahoma City area? Is there a memory daycare in Oklahoma City? Yeah. So thank you for asking. So we have what they call adult day services. Okay, so the Daily Living Center is one of them. That's uh, called the Daily Living Center. And there's three or four locations. Uh, there's Northwest Oklahoma City, I believe there's a South, I know there's one in Edmond. Yep, okay. And then there's also another one. Jeff, do you know the name of the other one? But the answer is yes. There's one in Dell City, I can't remember. There's one in Dell City, yeah. So there are some, and they can be found on the Oklahoma State website. By the way, you can go to the Oklahoma Department of Human Services and look up adult day services and the license. You want a licensed one, right? Yeah. And so there are people who provide that type of service, people that provide that type of service, maybe in their home or, you know, where they have to be licensed to do that, make sure that they're licensed. And that, that also, by the way, is covered through um, the Advantage program. So for people, like, let's say they can't afford for their loved one to live in memory care, but they need to work. And so they need, their loved one needs to go somewhere during the day. Adult day programs are wonderful for that, yeah. <clears throat> I think the cost was on here as well on that, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, good question. What else? Yes, ma'am. What if you moved in one of these CCRCs you bought in and you know, did other thing, and then you needed to move out of state for your family or for whatever reason? Yeah, so what if you paid an entry fee, moved to a CCRC, and then either decided to or wanted to move out of state. Move, move out, period. You can yeah. move down the street or out of state. Okay. Well, 
So it depends on your contract, right? So people do that all the time. And some people have a contract that says that if they move out or pass away, that they receive a 90% refund or a 70% refund or a 50% refund or no refund. It depends on the contract that they signed when they paid their entry fee. Now, obviously, if you're signing a, a contract for a 100% um, a uh, non-refundable contract, you're going to pay less than a 50% refundable contract, right? So think about that. So everything is relative price-wise to the contract that you sign. And also, depending on <laughs> from when you move in to when you move out, if it's less than a year or two years, yeah. there's, there's stipulations yeah. to they that. They all have prorations. Yeah. So let's say that happened in the first year you lived there or the first three years you lived there. They have a prorated amount of a refund regardless of your contract. Yeah. We had a lady that um, Jill jokes about it once in a while because she moved to Spanish Cove, uh, her and her husband, and then they moved out and bought a house because they needed to be, be caregivers for their grandchildren. And so they had a 90% refundable contract. So they got 90% of their money back, moved into this house, then they moved back to Spanish Cove, and then they moved out again, and got a 90% refund again, and then they moved back. They moved in three times. And they had a refundable contract, so they knew going in that they would forfeit that 10% if they decided to move out, and they were okay with that. So that's their, that was their, and so that usually I will tell you the community reps that do this are really good at finding out what are the potential challenges you may face? And when people say, well, I may want to move to be closer to my daughter, then they're going to direct them towards the type of contract that would be most cost-effective for them should they decide to do that. Yeah. Yeah. On the continuous care contract, what is what, if any, is the value of having a long-term care Insurance. Oh, good question. Yeah, no. Jill and Caitlin and them address this all the time because if you are if you have a long-term care insurance policy and you go apply to live at one of those communities, they're going to factor that into your contract. Okay, because let's say you move out of independent <coughs> living into assisted living, you know your long-term care insurance is probably going to pay something, right, based on your policy. So let's say uh, I'll use Cindy's example. You move into assisted living. And your fee is, let's just, I'm going to throw a number out there, $2,500 to live there. And your long-term care insurance policy pays $2,000 towards that, then your rent's only $500. Because long-term care insurance will pay towards that. That directly affected, I don't know if I've ever told you the story about my dad. He did not, he was in a, a um, life care community in Tulsa, and he had long-term care insurance. He said, well, I don't really need this mask. Well, let's hang on to it for a while. And before I was in the industry. So let me repeat what Cindy was saying. So her dad did a long-term care and had a long-term care insurance policy, moved into a CCRC, and they hung on to the policy because he wasn't sure should I hang on to the policy or not. He did. When they made the claim on the policy, he actually came out $10 ahead every month. For two years, see his insurance, his long-term care insurance policy was a two-year policy, right? So long-term care insurance, be, be careful because most of those policies have a length of time that they cover. They don't cover forever unless you have a really old, good policy that you bought way I, back when. I have a lifetime coverage, but that, uh, 
it, it goes just so sky high. The premiums go high, and so that's a, so that's a question. So here's the thing: but that's you don't a, want to let it go. When you sit down with the rep at these communities, they're gonna they're gonna talk to you about all those scenarios, and and they're gonna look at that, and they're gonna well, does it make sense for you to have the policy that you're paying X amount of dollars for or not? And that is such an individualized situation that they I am amazed at how good they are at this and if they need to they'll bring their CFOs in to sit down and work the numbers they'll work with your CPA to crunch the numbers to figure out what makes the most sense yeah that that decision is not made in one visit right Caitlin how many visits do you guys usually talk to people <laughs> Three visits to seven years, <laughs> right? Some people make decisions really quickly. Other people want to crunch the numbers and, and think it through and talk with lots of people um, if your circumstances are such. But yeah, long-term care insurance. And the other one is uh, veterans aid attendance. So if people have veterans aid attendance and they qualify for that as well, then sometimes they're not paying anything for assisted living uh, potentially. So it's a complicated, almost lifetime decision. It is. It, well, so thank you for saying that. Is it very complicated? And it is a lifetime decision. I think that's why people take so long to contemplate it, is because once they make the decision, they know that it's not permanent. I wouldn't say it's permanent, but it definitely affects everything going forward. Yeah. Caitlin? Uh, you mentioned the, so the, a lot of people don't know the tax benefit for CCRCs. The tax benefit, yeah. So Caitlin's pointing out that the way that CCRCs are set up is it's partially a healthcare transaction and partially a real estate transaction. So the healthcare piece of that can sometimes be deducted on people's taxes. Depending on your tax situation, you can, a portion of your rent and a portion of your entry fee can sometimes provide, uh, you can provide that to your CPA and sometimes that will help you out on your taxes. And they'll talk to you about all that stuff when you go and do a consultation with them. I saw a hand. Yeah. I had a situation where a friend of mine's uh, mother's uh, financial advisor had told her, oh, don't worry about your mom. She can afford the best care because her long-term care policy is really good. But when she went to, to move her mom, who was having just a few problems, into an assisted living the long-term care policy didn't cover it because she wasn't ill enough yet to mm -hmm. qualify for her yeah. benefits. And I think a lot of people yeah. erroneously think, well, that's just you know right. going to kick in, and it doesn't. Yeah. Jane, that's a huge point. So to, to your point, so long-term care insurance policies there are triggers that will cause them to be able to make the claim, accept the claim, and pay the claim. And people assume, oh, I have this long-term care insurance policy, I'm going to assist the living, that's what it's for, it's going to pay. And that's why I said having it reviewed before the decision is needed is so important because if, if, if it says they have to be incontinent before we're going to start paying and the person isn't incontinent, then, then guess what? They're spending $4,500 a month on on assisted living and insurance isn't paying anything toward it. Now, they're not that specific, but I'm using that as an example. There's usually got to be a couple of things, activities of daily living that people need help with before that insurance will pay. 
Yeah. Um, okay, I see lots of hands. So let me get uh, uh, Philip first, and then I'll get uh, Jeff. Yeah, Philip. I was just gonna say to that nine times out of ten, those long-term care policies, you have to not be able to complete two of the five activities of daily living. So normally transferring from a bed to something, cooking, uh, bathroom, showering, those types of things. When you cannot complete two of the five, and you usually have to have two doctors sign off on that. Okay, so thank you, Philip. So to repeat for the people listening via video, um, is two activities of daily living are what the long-term care insurance is looking for that you need help with. And by the way, unfortunately, a lot of people are very modest and they don't want to say I'm having trouble with X, right? And so what happens is they go, oh, no, I'm fine. Oh, no, I can do all these things. And so the insurance company says, well, then we're not paying. But if, the, if you're sitting in the doctor's office and you're truly having trouble due to whatever reason, it doesn't matter the reason, but you're having trouble and, and, and due to physical or mental health issues, tell them that. Because the doctor's going to document that. That information is what's going to be provided to the insurance company as the reason why you qualify for that claim. And so I've had people, I've had men that are terrible about this. Oh, no, I can do that just fine. And the daughter's looking at them like, are you crazy? <laughs> so take your pride and put it in your pocket during that visit because that's what's going to get your claim paid or not. Also vocabulary, remember I mentioned vocabulary, so it's what they call it can also make a difference. Yeah, good. Um, Jeff? Yeah, all I, want, I wanted to make a couple of points. Uh, Stand up for me so people can hear you. Sure. Uh, I wanted to make a couple of points that you mentioned earlier. Long-term care insurance does cover costs for home care as well. Okay, so let me say that. Long-term care insurance can cover costs for in-home care as well. Correct. Same, same rules apply. Same rules. With the ABLs and all that. Uh, the one thing that, that I want to overstress, and I know that you've talked about it in previous seminars, when you're looking for any service, you really want to especially in my industry, they are licensed. They're bonded, they're protecting your home, they're protecting you guys. So Jeff, let me ask you a question, because what he's saying is if you're shopping for in-home care and uh, you want to make sure they're licensed, bonded, and, and everybody's covered, who are they licensed through, Jeff? State of Oklahoma, and it's on the State of Oklahoma website. If you go on there, you can see who the licensed uh, agencies are, yeah? versus one who is, and part of that has to do with the background checks, both criminal and financial background checks, uh, they're insured. If someone were to steal, heaven forbid, right, if they were to steal, that would be a phone call to the agency, and the agency would then have insurance that covers that. Whereas, and if someone's injured, heaven forbid, the person was lifting and they threw their back out and they, or they stepped down your step and fell down and broke their ankle, that's all covered under their workers' comp. 
Yeah. And I, and I will say that, let me, let me, uh, this has actually happened in a company I work for. Jeff, be concise because they can't hear you very well. That's okay. I'm going to, uh, so a company I used to work for, we actually had a caregiver who fell on a property uh, because we were covered with workers' comp, there were nothing, there was nothing outside. I have a friend, similar situation happened. The caregiver, caregiver ended up suing the homeowner and won. Yeah. And so the homeowner's insurance either spiked or they had to pay out of pocket. Right. Uh, it's extremely important. You also mentioned uh, the aid of tenants. We also take a, a version of that through home care called Homemaker Aid of Tenants where we actually provide services up to 10 hours a week that's covered uh, specifically through the VA. And that's VA, okay. So two things, let me repeat back. For the last one, let me repeat before I forget it. Homemaker aid and attendance is also through the VA, and that's for people that are receiving in-home care uh, in the home. And so if someone has veterans benefits, veterans aid and attendance, or homemaker aid and attendance, two different services. And then Jeff talked about um, you know, the insurance issue. If someone is hurt in your home providing services who's not covered under an agency's workers' comp, they're gonna oftentimes sue the homeowner or want the homeowner to make the claim on their homeowner's insurance, which can affect you directly and, the, and affect your homeowner's insurance. And God forbid um, it's not covered by your homeowner's insurance and you have to come out of pocket for that. So very important. Um, issue there. Did I answer the question that came up on that? Yeah. One last question on lying. Okay. And, oh, and, it's time. And, and Gosh. Very quickly. So sorry. Are tours being available at communities now? Um, so good question. Last question and we'll adjourn. Um, so are tours being given at communities right now? There are some communities that are doing tours in person with people um, and they're doing it by appointment only. And I can guarantee you there are uh, extreme protocols being taken, so masks, etc. You probably are not going to get to tour their assisted living areas or memory care or long-term care, just independent living. But I know Spanish Cove are now doing tours. Caitlin, you guys are doing tours. Uh, I saw um, a couple of emails the other day that said some of our other communities are doing tours. I do not believe Concordia is yet doing tours. Um, so it's best to call first and talk to the sales rep there and just say, hey, what's the process? Some of them are doing virtual tours as well if, you, if it's urgent, obviously. But if it's not urgent, then uh, call ahead. Did you guys get something today that you had never heard before? I hope so because we had a little bit different. All right. So um, next month, August, uh, the truth about living, dying, and living and dying with dignity. Uh, and in September, the truth about communicating with grown children. You can do those online or in person. If something changes, we will let you know. Please fill out your eval and give it to Jim in the back of the room. And you guys have a most blessed day. We'll see ya. Love ya. Bye. Hey, oh, Nobody's ready to get out of here. Lunch time.